It's good to have you here at Wellspring this morning to worship. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a curveball if you have your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. <laughs> Luke chapter 2, that's a Christmas story. Man. How many of you, you're here this morning, you're 100% done for shopping Christmas? I mean, everything is bought, wrapped, ready to go. Man, that was crazy. How about... Actually, it's, this is, that's jealousy talking, if you can't tell. I mean, how many of you are 90%? You got a little trinkets here and there to, to buy. 90%? Eh, that's about right. How many of you are like me? You're like, I am in trouble. <laughs> you're, she says she doesn't care, and you don't believe her. <laughs> that's me. That's funny. Good. Well, it is good to have you. Good to have you here this morning, worshiping uh, with us. You, uh, I said, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2, let's pray and then we're going to jump right in. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray, I pray that you would speak to us through your word and we would leave here changed as a result of it. Lord, we, a uh, uh, story that we've all heard so many times, but I pray you use it uh, to remind us of your goodness and then we would leave here changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growing up, I would bet that probably all of us in the room uh, heard, learned Bible stories. David and Goliath, Noah and the Ark, uh, Daniel and the lion's den. And the Christmas story is no different. You heard that story growing up. And, it's, and while I would, I would guess that probably all of us, maybe not, maybe most of us at least, would say, I, I'm, I'm in the boat, not culturally, I'm just talking about it in this room. Most of us would probably say, I'm in the boat. That this that literally happened. There may not be, and not, maybe not everybody, but um, I, I believe that literally those stories literally happened the way they were talked about in the Bible. And that would be me. I believe they, they literally happened. But I've become so familiar with them that they're in, in an effort to try and illustrate the stories. Some fictional characteristics. Have, have integrated their way into the story so the weight of them don't always change me the way that they should. I'm so familiar with the stories. I'm so, I, I know the, the next line is almost like a play, act one, you, you know, scene one. The, 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 the angel shows up to Elizabeth, act one, scene two. The, the angel shows up to Mary and that goes on down the list until. The play comes to a close. It's almost, I'm so familiar with the story. That fictional characteristics have creeped in. So this morning, as we look at the Christmas story, it's my prayer that we would see the story for what it really is. You know, after all, the writers of the Gospels, the Gospel writers specifically Luke, he went to great lengths to make sure that this story was never misconstrued as fictional. In fact, the first two people he named in his gospel were not even religious people. They were, they were Roman Empire, they were, they were uh, uh, leaders of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus, Quirinius. It was almost as if he, Luke, the gospel writer Luke was saying, I want you to read my account and then I want you to verify it. I dare you. To go and find the people that I'm talking about. Because many of them are still alive. I dare you to go find them. And find out if the story that I'm telling you is true. The gospel writer Luke. 
went way out of his way to make sure this was never misconstrued as a story made up, a story of fiction. And so this morning, as we walk through it, I want to, it's my prayer, it's been my prayer all week, that as we would read through the story, a fresh, new uh, reading, you would, you would almost read it as if you had never read it before. And then it would change us as a result of it. We only have about two hours in here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm going to have to start. I'm going I'm I'm to fast forward to verse 8. Let me set up what's going on. Most of you already know, but let me set up what's going on. I'm going to pick up the story in verse 8. So far, the angel showed up to Mary and Joseph. You're going to have a baby. That's not really possible. I'm a virgin after all. And he says, no, the, the Holy Spirit's going to do a work, and I'm going to send you a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. And then... Unbeknownst to this guy named Caesar Augustus, he decides he's going to have a census. And it's going to be a census unlike any the world has ever known. He wants to count every single person under the rule of the Roman Empire. So he decides that everybody's going to have to go back to their city of origin. No longer am I going to tax based on regions. I'm, I, the, the, the Roman Empire is taxing every single individual now on top of regions. So they're going to have to go back, find out who all lives where and, and how many people and who is under the rule of the Roman Empire. So Caesar Augustus demands that there, a census is taken and everybody has to go back home. Well, Joseph is of the city, of the family line of David, so he has to go back to Bethlehem. And unbeknownst to Caesar Augustus, he is played right into the hand of Almighty God as the story of Christmas begins to unfold. Joseph and Mary, newly, uh, newly weds, jump on a donkey and head from Nazareth to Bethlehem. When they're there the first night, Mary gives birth to her firstborn son, names him Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 8. It says this, And in the same region, that would be the same region that Jesus was there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Stop right there. Now, because we've read the Bible, the, the position of, of shepherd has kind of been redeemed. After all, King David was a shepherd. And he, he rose to prominence. We've all memorized probably Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we have a, a, the Bible is really redeemed. The position of shepherd, but in their culture, there was really nothing lower than the position of shepherd. They were not allowed to vote. They're, they were, were uh, they could not testify in a court of law. Not only that, they had been boxed out of religious practice. They were not even allowed in the temple. The, the religious people, the people who you would think would, would care about shepherds the most, had boxed them out of having. Access to God. There was nothing lower than the position of shepherd in the first century culture. In fact, the philosopher from, from Alexandria, that which, which was kind of the center of the intellectual world at the time, said this, There is no more disreputable an occupation than that of a shepherd. Now, sitting here today, I can think of several, but... 
According to their culture, there was nothing lower than a shepherd. And yet, this is crazy. The angels show up to lowly shepherds. The people that culture, society had had cast out. The, the, The people that the religious leaders had boxed out of having access to God through through the rituals of the temple. The people that nobody wanted to grow up to be, God sent his angels to them first. I think, foretelling what this good news, this gospel, Christmas was going to be all about. Coming to the people, culture has no use for. The story continues. In verse 10, excuse me, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, you've you got to use your imagination a little bit. This is where when we were just reading our Bibles, we'll just skip right over this, but a lot's going on in this verse. Shepherds would, would be in charge of their flock. And, and when it, the time was right, they would take their flock out into the fields and allow them to graze. And they would find a good location where, where, where there was a water source so the, the sheep had access to water to drink. And then when the night began to fall, the shepherds would go out to the field. They would find rocks, these, these kind of uh, uh, stones. And they would take these, these field stones and they would make almost a corral or a, or a kind of a holding uh, gate. Um, for their flock. They would take these, these rocks and they would build kind of a circle and they would stack them on top of each other until there was just one opening. And then they would take their entire flock, they would run them into this, this corral that they built. And then in the one opening, the shepherds would lay across the front or across the door, across that opening. And they would sleep kind of halfway, kind of one eye would be open because they knew that there were predators around. And if the predators jumped into the corral and got one of their sheep, it was coming directly out of his paycheck. And he didn't have a uh, he didn't make enough money to allow that to happen. So here are these shepherds, probably numerous shepherds, based on the account. They're laying out in the fields. They've got their sheep in the corrals. They're laying across the front, the opening, the only opening in the corral for the sheep. And the Bible says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I don't know what the glory of the Lord shone around them means, but I suspect it was something like this. At the Smith house lately, last several weeks, Molly Kate has gotten up in the middle of the night. She'll yell, can I come to your bed? Mom plays that game, Dad doesn't. Here's why. Because every time she's in the bed, I have about two or three inches on the edge of the bed, and I have two little three-year-old heels in my back trying to finish the job. All right? So I don't play. Well, this particular night, I the, the Molly Kate woke up yelling for mom, can I come to your bed? I woke up first, got up, walked across the hall, and I got down next to the bed. I knelt down next to the bed, and I kind of laid my head. I was tired. Laid my head on the bed and patted her back, so she would go back to sleep, so I could go back to sleep. Completely selfish motives, but nonetheless. I'm patting her back, and about that time, I'm about half asleep. 
About that time, I, I look up and I'm in the, in the corner of the room and I see an angel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm laying my head on the bed, half asleep. And the radio goes off. I don't even know why she has a radio. She cannot read numbers. Well, most of the numbers she can, but she can't tell time. But everybody else in the house has one. She has to have one as well. The radio connected to her clock goes off at the loudest possible noise. And it scares me silly. I jump up. I'm wide awake, ready to go, ready to start the day in the middle of the night. I mean, it scared me to death. I don't know what the glory of the Lord shown around me, but it's got to be close to that. <laughs> Those shepherds hanging out in the fields, doing what shepherds do. And the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it says they were filled with great fear. You think? <laughs> I mean, after all, it's the middle of the night. Not a, not a, not, I mean, maybe a bath here and there, I don't know, but... Not much is going on. And then all of a sudden, an angel shows up. The glory of the Lord shone around. You bet they're afraid. But I think there's more to it than just that. Because when the glory of the Lord shows up, it reveals to us who we really are. When the glory of the Lord shows up, in light of that glory, in comparison to that glory, we see our hearts as we really are outside of Christ. And it is not pretty. I mean, after all, you've heard this. I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I am do the right things. I do my best. I'm, I'm a good person. But when the glory of the Lord shows up, you see your definition of goodness in light of that. You realize you're a mess. Sin has made us a mess. We're not really good after all. Just this past week, on The View, I don't watch The View, I was reading a, a Christian blog and it referenced it. This past week on The View, um, they brought up a, a, a billboard by the American Atheists. It's a picture of Santa Claus that says, go ahead and skip church, but be good for goodness sakes. And one of the hosts was saying, are, are Christians going to be mad about that billboard? And one of the other hosts said, no, I, I don't see how they could be. I mean, it just says to be good for goodness sakes. And that's what, that's what religion is all about. That's what going to church is all about after all. One of the other hosts said, no, 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 that's not what Christianity is about. It's faith by grace. And the, the host that kind of started the conversation was incredulous. What are you talking about? Grace by faith. I thought you just had to be good. One of the third hosts, one of the, one of the other hosts said, good, good by what standard? She said, well, you just got to do the best you can. She said, yeah, but good by what standard? Because the Bible tells us that you have to be perfect. You have to keep all the commandments. The, the, the lady said, well, I do. I, I do my best. I keep all the commandments. She said, you've never lied? The host said, that's one of the commandments. <laughs> she said, yeah. She said, well, I, I still do the best I can. 
the host, one of the other hosts, a believer, I believe, said, well, the Bible says if you've broken one, it's as if you've broken them all. And the weight of the law fell in that conversation. And I have to believe, based on the fact that these guys were afraid, that the weight of the law, the perfection of God, fell on the shepherds that night. They saw their heart as it truly was, in comparison to a perfect God. Now on the view, nobody came to know the Lord, none of that happened. But the weight of the law fell on that TV show that day. They realized that there is a standard of good, and they cannot, they will never measure up. And when you realize the weight of the law, there's only one response, and that's to fear. That's to be afraid. So when the glory of the Lord showed up to these shepherds, they saw their heart as it truly was. The weight of the law, the weight of God's perfection, fell on them, and they were afraid. Luckily, the story doesn't end there. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. I love this. The glory of the, the Lord shows up. They see their, their, their selves. They see their heart as it truly is. They see how much sin has infected and affected their lives. And their only uh, response is to be afraid. And the angel sees that. And his first word is, fear not. Don't be afraid. Because, I bring, for behold, I bring you good news. That's the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel shows up. The shepherds see themselves as they really are. They're afraid. And he doesn't say, here's a list, an Old Testament list of things that you've got to do to try and get right with God. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He says, no, i got good news for you. And good news always, always is relieving. You never answer the phone and somebody says, i got good news. And you think, what am I going to have to do? What are they going to ask me to do? What am I going to get myself into this time? You never pick up the phone and hear, I've got good news on the other end and think, man, I shouldn't have answered the phone. You never think that. Because there's not a weight that comes to answering a phone when the other person says that. You're excited to hear what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened when the angel showed up. You're, you see yourself as you really are, but there is good news coming your way. A great joy. And it's for all the people. Because a Savior has been born. Even for you, shepherds. That's the gospel. You see yourself for who you really are. The weight of the law falls on you, and you realize you can never measure up. You will never be good enough. And an angel shows up and says, but I got good news. Something has been done on your behalf that you can never do for yourself, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now stop right there. When we're reading this in our house, we'll just blow right through this, but we'll miss a very real part of the story. The angels show up to these shepherds who are doing a job, and they provide this great news that a Savior has been born. And we just read right on through that they head on into Bethlehem. But this was a decision to be made. I mean, the, the angels showed up to these shepherds. We don't know how many there were. Reveals to them this good news that a Savior has been born. But they still are responsible for sheep. There's, their, their paycheck is dependent upon the health of their sheep, of their flock. And so they have a decision to make. And I'm sure they gathered together. They kind of huddled up. They said, man, this is good news. We've got to go find this baby. But what are we going to do with our sheep? And I don't know if they drew straws and the guy that got the shortest had to stay behind and watch. I don't know if they closed in the, 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 uh, the opening and just took their chances. I don't know what they did. But there was a tough decision to be made. Their livelihood was dependent upon it. Because there were still sheep to take care of. And it wasn't as if they could walk right into Bethlehem and go right to the manger. I mean, they had to find this place. They had to ask around. This was going to take time. There was still a decision to be made. Look at what they did. Let us go to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. This news... This good news, good news of great joy that will be for all the people, they wanted to give. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the, chi- the, the, the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. In my notes, I put this. Don't miss the ordinariness. I may have made the word up. I don't know. Don't miss the ordinariness of God speaking to most of us. The shepherds got an angel, but everyone else got a shepherd. Angels speak to shepherds. Shepherds speak to everyone else. And the Bible tells us that they hear well. Don't miss the ordinariness of God speaking to you and to me. Because we can become so familiar with it that we hear it, but we really don't hear it. There's an ongoing issue in my marriage, and it's this. That I hear what Mary Jo says, but I don't really hear it. (laughs) And so sometimes things will come up, and I will be shocked. I'll be surprised. Where did that come from? And she'll say, really? I mean, that really took you by surprise. I've been telling you this for days. It's because I heard it, but I didn't really hear it. I mean, I, I, I heard it in my mind. I heard it in my ears, but it didn't process. I didn't, I didn't think through the consequences. I didn't, I didn't think through the variables. I heard it, but I didn't really hear it. 
We want to be careful when we're reading God's word, when we're hearing God's word, that we listen well. In the ordinariness of God's word, in the ordinariness of the Bible, the shepherd's got an angel. Everybody else got a shepherd. Now Mary and Joseph got a shepherd and an angel. But the Bible tells us that they listened to the shepherds also, even though they got a message from the angels. When you're in God's word, make sure. I would encourage you, do not allow the ordinariness of God speaking to us. Allow us to miss, to miss his words. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her hearts, and the shepherds returned. What did they return to? They returned to shepherding. Nothing had changed in their status. Nothing had changed in their position of, uh, in culture. They were still ordinary shepherds, but God had invited them into an extraordinary story, and they returned to ordinary shepherding glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate this story. And I came across this. Dorothy Sayers, she's an author of detective history fiction. Not only that, she was one of the first ladies to ever graduate from Oxford. And by her own admission, she was not an, a, a, a very attractive woman. She was not particularly attractive, and she said that herself. Well, she wrote a famous detective uh, series on a guy named Peter, Lord Peter Wimsey. He was a fictional character that she had created. He was an aristocrat, he was a detective, and he solved mysteries. He was very good at solving mysteries in these stories that she uh, made up. Well, Sayers um, was writing this whole series, and about halfway through, a new character emerges, a character uh, by the name of Harriet Vane. Harriet was one of the first women to ever graduate from Oxford. She was a writer of mystery fiction. She wasn't a particularly attractive lady. And she and Peter, in this series, in this story, fall in love, get married, solve mysteries together, and live happily ever after. Some literary scholars believe that Dorothy Sayers looked into the world that she created and into a man that she created and fell in love with him. And she saw that he was lonely, so she wrote herself into the storyline. They fell in love, got married, solved all the world's problems, and lived happily ever after. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, that is so sweet. Others of you are a little bit like me and like, that's a little bit weird, but whatever. <laughs> and I don't mean to make light of it, but that's the story of Christmas. God... Looked at us, a world that he had created, a mess that we had made 
When we looked at him and said, I'm a better sovereign than you. I'm, a, I'm, better, I'm better at ruling my, my life. I'm, I'm better at controlling my life. I'm better at giving my life direction than you are, God. I got this. He looked at that mess. And Christmas is the story of God writing himself into our story. The story that he created. And after all, excuse me, I'm not trying to make light of it, but God entered into our story. He became one of us. He fixed a problem that we could not fix ourselves. He wrote himself into the story. And that's the story of Christmas. This year, if you'll allow, you haven't already, allow the gospel to do its wrecking work, and then allow the good news to invade that space. Allow God to write himself into your story. Then, it'll be a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, the story of Christmas is that you became one of us. Just like that author writing herself into the story to fix a problem. That's exactly what you did, but on a cosmic, spiritual, permanent level. Doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. Father, I pray that every person in here would know that. Experience it. And then be saved by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.